God is good and all the time. I'm glad that you chose to worship with us today. And I'm going to invite you to find your way to 1 Samuel. We'll get there in a minute, I promise, all right? 1 Samuel. But uh, we are in our second week. Maybe you are, uh, haven't been here, you missed last week, or maybe this is your first time uh, today. And so we are in week two of our series entitled Fight for Your Family. And so uh, this has been a, a, a subject that's been near to my heart. I've been thinking about this for a long time. In fact, uh, I wrote a book about it a couple years ago, and if you would like one there, I believe there's still a few copies on the back for you. You're welcome to grab one uh, for free on your way out. And uh, as I think about just kind of maybe a quick review from, next, from last week, uh, the title of the message last week was uh, simply called Be Weird. Can you say be weird? be weird? Say it again, be weird. How many of you are already weird? It doesn't matter, all right? So... We're not just talking about being odd, okay? We're all a little odd, but be weird as, and the subtitle was because normal's not working. And we see in our culture that we are strained running from God as a culture, and so we want to we we be weird. But we made this statement last week that I make often, and it's this, as goes the man, so goes the family. Track with me here, right? As goes the man, so goes the family. And as goes the family, so goes the church. And as goes the church, so goes the community. And then as goes the community, so goes a country. And so what we need in our church, in our homes, in our community, in our country, is we need men who will lead their families to find and follow Jesus. Do you believe that? Say amen. Amen. We need men to step up and lead. It's interesting, as we were talking about this past week in our staff meeting about this, talking about how um, culturally, now, would you believe, you don't have to speak out loud at this time, but do do you think that as a culture, as a society, that that men in general, it seems like, it seems natural to just kind of take a back seat and be passive. Some of you are already shaking your head like, all right, so, so let's verbalize it. Do you, do, you, do you think that it just seems natural and in our culture that men kind of take a back seat, yes or no? Yeah. The, the tr- and the truth is, I, I believe that it's true, but the reality is almost every country that I've been in that's also the culture. And I wonder why that is. I wonder why it just seems natural that our culture drifts that way. Remember what we were talking about last week in Romans chapter 12. Paul said, don't be conformed to culture. I mean, it said, don't be conformed to the image of this world. Okay, what we could translate that or apply that is, is that don't be conformed to culture. And the implication here is that culture is trying to form you into something. It's trying to form you into its ideas and its ideology and its philosophy. And so Paul is saying, don't be conformed to the image. And what we see in most cultures today is that men are passive. Specifically, when we talk about spiritual leadership, that men have become very passive in the area of spiritual leadership. And so as we think about that, we see it seems natural, it seems normal, it seems like what's happening. And Paul says, don't be conformed to this image, to 
culture to what seems to be happening. But then he also, in the rest of that verse, says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's what we learned last week, what there's really two possibilities for all of us here this morning. For those of you maybe listening online, either you are being formed by culture into its image, or you are being formed by Christ into his image. And the one you are being formed into, it's your choice. It's your choice. And so we want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. What we want to look in Scripture today and see is like, men, could we lead our homes, could we lead our children to find and follow Jesus? I want to show you a graph that that really kind of highlights for us, kind of glaringly obvious, that if men would lead their homes spiritually, it would have an impact on our church, our community, and our country. And what this statistic is saying, what this graph is telling us, is that if a dad comes to Christ first, so if a, if a dad becomes a follower of Jesus before his family does, that 93% of the time his family will also become followers of Christ. That is amazing. Look at the difference, though. If it's mom that finds Jesus first, only 17% of the time is her family also going to find and follow Jesus. And if it's the kids first, only 3.5% of the time. What it underscores for us as a church is how important we need to be focusing on Spiritual leadership by the man in the home. Do you agree with that? Amen. And we need to be reaching our community. We need reaching men in our community. And so I think through, thinking through this, when any culture that I've ever kind of been a part of, it seems natural, it seems normal, it seems obvious that men are, well, let's use the word passive, that they kind of take a back seat. And I wonder where that comes from. And it doesn't take long to open up your Bible and see where it comes from. In Genesis chapter number 3, you, you probably know the story, or maybe you've heard parts of the story, but Eve was in the garden minding her own business when the serpent came to her and deceived her and said, you will surely not die. God surely didn't say that. You're, God doesn't want you to be like him, the no difference between good and evil. And it says here, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eye, the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate it. And we could say, boo, Eve. It's all your fault. In fact, Adam would say that later. It's the woman you made. But look at the next sentence. She also gave to her husband. What are the next two words? Say it out loud. Say it again, the next two words. So where was Adam? You guys are so smart. Adam was with her. Who had God told not to eat of the tree of the good uh, of the tree? God told Adam, didn't he? And what was Adam doing with her? He was doing what, what seems natural for most of us men to do. When it comes to spiritual matters, we just observe. We're passive. 
And what we need is men who will stand up and lead and fight for their families like God has called us to do. Do you agree with that? Say amen. amen. We need men who will fight for their family. Today we're going to look at, I think, probably a familiar passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel. And we're going to kind of just walk through the story, and then we're going to make three points of application at the end of it. And as we, the series is Fight for Your Family, and, and so the context in which I want us to mostly apply these lessons is for us as parents. There's going to be three steps of application that I think we as parents can do and should do in order to, to train our kids to find and follow Jesus. I also think, though, that these three points of application are really three points of application that everyone in the room could learn and do a better job at. So as we listen to the story and, and somewhat the perspective is from fighting for your family, I also wanted to be and acknowledge in the room that not everybody in here is a parent, Right? Or maybe your kids are already grown, or maybe you don't have kids. And so let's also listen, and, and as we observe what Scripture teaches us, let's also look at it from a personal perspective as, how can I apply this? How are these three points applied to me personally? All right, so the title of our message this morning is pretty simple. It's just, it's pass the baton. This is important, parents, for us to pass our faith to our children. And I don't believe, I don't believe that I am a good parent. I don't believe I'm a good follower of Jesus. If I have not trained someone or taught someone, well, let's think about it this way. Remember what Paul said that we, he admonished in, in Hebrews that we should run our race with endurance, the race that God has set before us. And I don't believe that I could say I have run my race well unless I have also trained others to, reign, to, to, to run their race well. And so what we're going to see in this text this morning is maybe three points of application of how we as parents or even as individuals, because one of the verses I want to just point out to you in Scripture is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. And Paul is talking to, it says in the text, my son. He's talking about Timothy, though, and Timothy is not his son. He's just a younger follower of Jesus. And Paul is saying, for me as an individual, my son, Timothy, Here's what he admonishes him. He said, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he says, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What Paul is saying is that as parents, we need to, we need to train our kids to find and follow Jesus and we need to pass the baton of faith. What he's also saying is for us just as individuals that we should be investing in other people and handing, passing the baton. I, again, don't believe I can say I run the race well unless I have prepared someone else to run their race well. And so as we look in our text, first chapter, uh, first Timothy, let me give you the uh, first Timothy, first Samuel, right? In first Samuel, I want to give you just a quick context. All right, Hannah is a lady who can't have kids. She's desperate to have kids. And so when we jump into this story, okay, she's desperate. She's on her annual pilgrimage to the temple, and she's crying out to God for a child. And here's what she says in verse number 9 of chapter 1. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by uh, the doorpost of the tabernacle. And here we are in verse number 10. She was in bitterness of soul. And I want, I, want you to, I want you to rest for a moment in the heaviness. 
She was in bitterness of soul because she couldn't have a child. It goes on to say, and she prayed to the Lord and she wept in, in anguish. Bitterness of soul and in anguish. She had a heavy heart. She was desperate for a child. More specifically, she was desperate for a son. And so she cries out to God in verse number 11. It says, she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And so as Hannah prays and as we read the story, we're not going to get all the, read through it all, but I, I'll I'll let you know what happens. God answers her prayer, and she has a son. And not only does she have a son, but remember the promise she made. She's like, God, I promise if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And so she gives Samuel, and she takes Samuel back to live in the temple with Eli. And so here we are. We're going to fast forward several years as Samuel has, uh, her, her son, has now been living with Eli, the priest and the prophet. And he's been living there because she kept her promise and Eli also has two other boys, and his boys' names, they always get him confused. His boys' names were Hophni and Phinehas, okay? Glad none of you, I don't think, have named your kids that. But what I always, in my mind, you know what my mind always thinks of when I, when I hear Hophni and Phinehas? I always think of Phinehas and Ferb for some reason, and so I always, like I almost just said it. How, how many of you know who Phinehas and Ferb are? All right, how many of you have no clue who that is? Okay, you are the blessed ones in the room, all right? Anyways, you can look it up, right? Google will tell you anything. And so Eli has two older boys, Phineas and Ferb, and then he's also raising Samuel, who's much younger. And we're going we're gonna, to, so we're jumping in the story, we're fast-forwarding quite a bit. And it says in verse 24, Eli is talking to his what I would believe to be adult sons. He says, No, my sons, for it is not good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sin against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, he, who will intercede for him? And it says, Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father. But let's contrast that between Samuel. It says about Samuel, one verse in verse 26 is, But the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor with both the Lord and men. And, and so God comes to Eli and God tells Eli, or what, what, we, what we've read so far is that his two older boys are not following the Lord. They're actually fulfilling the role that their dad was fulfilling, but they're not doing it like God asked them to do it. And it makes me pause for a moment and think, I wonder what Eli did wrong. I wonder, I wonder if he messed up because we're going to talk a little more about this last, uh, next week, but sometimes I think in the church we have uh, maybe not taught well. I think we've given the impression that if you do these things, and like the three things we're about to talk to you about, if you do these three things, that it's like fail safe. Your kids are never going to mess up. Like, like our Hallmark Kids Ministry verse is, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We're going to talk a little more about that next week, but I want you to understand that's not a promise. It's a principle. 
So when we look at the story of Eli and his sons are messed up, to be honest with you, my like um, legalistic view of things sometimes, my first thought, especially when, you, you, you know when I was a student pastor many years ago, before I had kids, I was a perfect parent. I could tell Chris and Cindy all day long, your daughter, you know, here's what she needs. Because I had all the answers. Do you remember when you were like that? I was a, I mean, I was the perfect parent until I became a parent. And then I realized, wow, this is hard. So I, I'm just giving you a, a little bit of what we're going to go with next week, all right? So, but when I look at this text, I think, oh, did Eli mess up? Maybe he messed up. His, his kids are not doing right. Look at verse number 29. This is God speaking now, and he's speaking to Eli. Why do you kick up my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place? And here's what you might want to underline. I think, in, in my mind, there's not, not much of a better text or sentence that might describe our culture right now. And God says, you honor your sons more than me. Anything that we put before God becomes our God. And what I see in our culture today is the number one God of this culture is the same God Eli had, his kids, their experiences. And I mean, God forbid our kid doesn't do everything, right? And you know where I see that most evident in our culture is in sports. I've, I've shared this statistic with you, but I have some new statistics to share with you. But in 2014, uh, this will kind of highlight how much we as a culture value sports and our kids, you know, being the next whatever. In 2014, they began a new study called Kids Sports Tourism. How much does this impact our economics in America? And in, in 2014, it was $7 billion is what they calculated that was spent just on kids' sports. In 2019, that figure raised from $7 billion to $24.9 billion. And that was when we spent a lot of the year locked down. Do you guys remember when we were on lockdown? Let's, I mean, I don't even want to talk about it, but do you remember that? Do you remember one, of, and I remember saying this in church, do you remember what one of the first things that opened back up in the state of Texas? It was sports. Look at the numbers now. You know why. There's a lot of money in it. It's projected that in 2026, that number will rise to $77.6 billion dollars. And as I look at our culture, I think of what the Lord said to Eli. I'm going to judge you because you honor your kids more than you honor me. One of my uh, favorite pictures, uh, if you don't know, I ha I, my wife and I, have, we have two kids. They're not kids anymore. 
Our son's 24, our daughter's 21. This is one of my favorite pictures. Uh, it's just obvious in this picture that there's, like, that's a stud coach right there, right? <laughs> in case you don't know, that's me, all right? <clears throat> that's me, and that's my son. I think he was probably 16 when this picture was taken. I can remember the night. It was pretty chilly that night in Kansas. And so I, I want you to know I love sports. And I think there's a lot of lessons we can teach our kids in sports. And I, I, God blessed me that I was able to coach my son from like second grade peewee football all the way through he graduated high school. And I'm thankful for that. And I also have to confess that in my own life, there were times when a sport became a God. And it's not healthy. Because the reality is, you know, it's been five plus years since I coached him in a football game. Since he put on pads. You know what I'm most thankful for? Is that tonight, when your students come back over in the student center, he's going to stand up and open God's word and teach them. And I, and I tell you that to say, be careful, parents, because I think we, I think we are a lot like Eli, that our kids have become our God. And God judged them for it. Now, that's a side message for the day, all right? Let's keep going through the story, because as the story goes, God has told Eli, uh, I'm going to judge you, and I'm going to judge your kids because you honored them more than you honored me. It says in chapter 3, there in the, I think it's the first verse, it says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, like God had not been telling people. So in the Old Testament, mostly he would speak to the, uh, to the, the prophet or the priest of who Eli was, and, and then they would be the spokesperson for God to the people. And so he hadn't been talking much. I think he was like a little frustrated. And so... Uh, there hasn't been much heard from God. Samuel is, you know, we have no idea really how old he is. He's probably what most scholars would say, a young teenager. He's laying in bed one night. He hears the voice, Samuel, Samuel. He assumes it's Eli going to, you know, asking a question. So he runs in to the old man, Eli, and says, what do you want? And Eli says, I didn't, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Now, every parent knows what that feels like, right? How many of you, your, your kids would sometimes walk into your room and, and you would just wake up and their face is like right there. They haven't said anything. They're just right there and like scare the you know what out of you. How many of you ever dealt with that, right? I can remember one time, I, Blake was probably, I don't know, was he like 12 years old? I wake up and his face is like right there. And it's like, I, I got, I mean, you know, I was in the spirit of the Lord. I said, hey, God loves you. What do you need, son? Can I, can I, do you need some milk? That's not what I said. It wasn't in the spirit of whatever I said came out. I was kind of angry. And you know what he said to me? Because I, I think my last word, what do you want? He's like, well, I've just been thinking, I don't think I'm really saved. I need to give my life to Jesus. I was like, oh, sorry, God. <laughs> I messed that one up. 
thank God I didn't stop the spirit. He got saved that night, but it didn't, it didn't start well. We'll just say that. So three times this happens. Samuel, Samuel, Samuel goes to Eli. What do you want? Eli's like, finally, the Bible says he perceives that it must be the Lord trying to talk to Samuel. And Eli says, Samuel, go back. If you hear the voice, then say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so Samuel does what Eli told him to do. He goes back to bed and hears the voice. Samuel, Samuel, and he speak for your servant hears. And then, and then here's where things get difficult for Samuel. Because Samuel's a young boy, and, and now God tells Samuel what God had already told Eli. God tells Samuel, I'm going to judge Eli because he's honored his kids more than he's honored me. And here's what I want you to know, Samuel, as now we're going to transition from me talking to Eli and Eli talking to the people, that I'm going to talk to you, Samuel, and now you're going to talk to the people for me. And so my first message for you, Samuel, is you need to go tell Eli that he's messed up and he's going to be judged and his kids and him are all going to die. And the text there says Samuel went back and laid down the rest of the night. It, did not, it does not say that Samuel went back and slept the rest of the night. My guess is Samuel sat there a little freaked out. I've got to tell my mentor that he's messed up and God's going to judge him. What Samuel did not know is what we already read. God had already told Eli. Eli knew what was happening. Eli, I assume, knew that when God was calling Samuel, Eli's like, okay, here it is. And God was testing Samuel. Is he going to give the message to Eli? So wakes up the next morning to have a conversation with Eli, and Eli's like, what did God tell you? And Samuel's like, um... I don't know. Let's, let's read chapter 3, uh, verse 17. And he said, this is Eli talking to Samuel, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things he said. If, and, and he says to Samuel, Samuel, listen, if, you, if you're not going to tell me what God says, God's going to do to you what he said he's going to do to me. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him and said, and so then Eli responds, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. So three things I want to point out of this story that I think will be application. Again, I think it's for us as parents, and, and we know those of us in the room who parents, who, who, uh, whose kids are adults, parenting never stops, does it? Parenting never stops, and I think there's three things that we need to teach our children, but I think it's also three things that we as individuals, so whether you, you're a mom, a dad, a young adult, a student, these, I, these are application for you as well. The first is this. Eli taught Samuel to listen to God's voice. Eli taught Samuel to listen to God's voice. And I'll say this. I think the best way, mom and dad, for you to teach your kids to hear the voice of God is to allow them to hear from the man of God 
in the house of God. In other words, I think the best place, the most important place for your kids to be is in church with you. Not, not on the ball field. There's great lessons on the ball field. They're not going to hear God's voice on the ball field. The best place for your kids to hear the voice of God is from the man of God, from the word of God, in the house of God. Listen to God's voice. The second one that he taught Samuel was obey God's word. Remember Samuel got up in the morning, seemingly didn't sleep all night. He's kind of hesitant. I don't know if I want to obey. I don't know if I want to give the message I'm supposed to give. And the truth is, sometimes God asks us to do things that are difficult. And what Eli taught Samuel was, listen, whatever God has told you to do, even if it's difficult, you need to do it. Obey God's word. The second, or the third, excuse me, is to submit to God's will. Remember how the last verse we read, Eli said, let me read it for us. It is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. It reminds me of the words of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in the garden right before they came to arrest him? This is going to be difficult, Lord. Is there any other way? Is there any other way to redeem mankind to yourself? And then he said, nevertheless, Jesus speaking, not my will, but your will be done. And so he says, I surrender to God's plan, to God's will. And Eli says the same thing. It's the Lord's will. Let him do what seems right. And so as, as parents, we want to teach our kids to listen we want to teach our kids to obey. We want to teach them to submit. But let me tell you something. I think you probably know. The, the lessons our kids learn are often more caught than taught. You know the saying, do as I say, not as I do? You ever heard that? That's not a very good saying. If, if you want your kids to learn to listen and to obey and to submit, as we talk about passing this baton, the reality is, as a parent, you can't pass what you don't possess. And you can't expect what you don't emulate. If church is not a priority, you've heard the saying, I'm sure, and I've heard a lot, and, and usually it's in talking in the area of like um, the grace and the freedom we have in Christ. You know, that there are some, what maybe we could just call them gray areas. There's some things that maybe you, you are allowed to do. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial for me. You know, and that could be things that we do, places we go. There's some things in our life that, that God has given us the freedom to do, but maybe aren't the best thing we should do. Are you tracking with me? Okay. And I've always heard it said like this, that whatever I do as a parent in moderation, my kids who are watching are going to do in excess. That's why I personally have chose to stay away from those gray areas. It may be okay, 
It's not beneficial. I would say the flip side of that, so that, that isn't talking in like uh, what maybe we could term into like negative behavior. Whatever I as a parent do, you know, uh, in moderation, my kids are going to do in excess. I think we could also flip the script on that and we could talk about um, good behavior. But it would go more like this. So let's talk about how important church is and what kind of a priority it is to be in church every week and to be serving and to, to listen to God's word and to read God's word. And I'm thankful that, that my kids, if you ask them, they have an image of me every morning and their mom every morning in the Bible reading the Bible. And if your kids don't have that image, so here, here's what I'm talking about is Again, we, one side of the spectrum is whatever you do in moderation, they're going to do in excess. But I think when we're talking about good behavior, it would be whatever we do casually, our kids will only do occasionally. And if we are not committed to God, let's not expect our kids to be. And as we think about passing the baton as parents in the room or grandparents in the room, I don't believe that I could say I've run my race well unless I've prepared others to run their race well. And I don't believe that I'm running my race well if I personally have not learned these lessons and have actively listening to God's voice obeying God's word, and submitting to his will. I want to ask you this morning, we're going to do something a little different. I'm just going to ask you to stand with me this morning. All right? We, we ended the verse last week, so everybody stand, all right? We ended last week reading, I reading Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14 over you this morning, last week. And I want to do the same thing. But as you stand there, I want you just to close your eyes for a moment, okay? I want you just to close your eyes for a moment because I want you to think, you could think this, this from the perspective, all right, I want to listen, obey, and submit. I, I want you not to think about that in terms of parenting or grandparents. I want you to think that in terms of your own life right now in your life. Could you actually define your life as someone who is listening to God's voice, who is obeying God's word, and who is submitting every single day to his will? And if we are not actively doing those three things, then I don't believe that we are truly fighting for our family very well. And the picture of this verse, as I said last week, Nehemiah stands before a crowd similar to this one right here. They're going to build the walls. And they're fighting for their families. And so as I read it, I want you to internalize this. Are you fighting for your family well? Because you can't fight for your family well if you're not running, running your race well. Nehemiah says he looked and he rose and he said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. He says, fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. God, this morning we come to you and we acknowledge that it's easy for us to be conformed into the image of this world.
And I pray this morning that you would challenge us individually, that you would challenge us personally, that you would challenge us as families, that you would challenge us as a church, as a faith community, Lord, that you would challenge us in every area of our life, Lord. We, we, would we listen, we actively listen. God, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? And, and then as we hear the voice of God, Lord, that as we get into your word and we learn, and Lord, we would walk in obedience. And then, God, I ask that we would surrender. And maybe this morning for us as parents, it's, it's a reminder that surrendering our kids to your will is, is an everyday thing. And Lord, I just pray that as a church faith family, we would fight. We would fight to show the generations to come the praises of the Lord. That the things that we've learned and seen among many witnesses, we would give to faithful men who will be able also to teach others. This morning, we're going to end our service uh, just worshiping the Lord. If you want to come and spend some time at the altar, feel free to do that. But let's just sing how great our God is this morning.